For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Tonight's chant is the harmony of difference and sameness. I will um, share my screen. We will be starting with the repentance verse, uh, which we'll do three times, and then I will announce the chant, and we can all chant it together. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born through body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. All my ancient twisted karma from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion born from body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow all my ancient twisted karma from beginningless Greed, hate, and delusion, born from body, speech, and mind, I now fully avow. The harmony of difference and sameness. The mind of the great sage of India is intimately transmitted from east to west. While human faculties are sharp or dull, the way has no northern or southern ancestors. The spiritual source shines clear in the light. The branching streams flow on in the dark. Grasping at things is surely delusion. According with sameness is still not enlightenment. All the objects of the senses interact, and yet they do not. Interacting brings involvement, otherwise each keeps its place. Sights vary in quality and form, sounds differ as pleasing or harsh. Refined in common speech come together in the dark. Clear and murky phrases are distinguished in the light. The four elements return to their natures, just as a child turns to its mother. Fire heats, wind moves, water wets, earth is solid. Eye and sights, ear and sounds, nose and smells, taste and tongue. With Thus with each and everything, depending on these roots, the leaves spread forth. Trunk and branches share the essence, revered and common, each has its speech. In the light there is darkness, but don't take it as darkness. In the dark there is light, but don't see it as light. Light and darkness oppose one another like the front and back foot in walking. Each of the myriad things has its merit expressed according to function and place. Phenomena exist, box and lid fit, principle responds, arrow points meet. Hearing the words, understand the meaning, don't set up standards of your own. If you don't understand the way right before you, how will you know the path as you walk? 
Progress is not a matter of far or near, but if you are confused, mountains and rivers block your way. I respectfully urge you who study the mystery, do not pass your days and nights in vain. May all awakened beings extend with true compassion their luminous mirror wisdom. With full awareness, we have chanted the harmony of difference and sameness. We dedicate this merit to our original ancestor in India, great teacher Shakyamuni Buddha, our first woman ancestor, great teacher Maha Prajapati, our first ancestor in China, great teacher Bodhidharma. Our first ancestor in Japan, great teacher Eihei Dogen. Our first ancestor in America, great teacher Shogako Shunryu. The perfect wisdom Bodhisattva Manjushri. To the well-being of all those afflicted with ills and to peace pervading for all peoples of the world. Gratefully, we offer this virtue to all beings, all Buddhas throughout space and time, all honored ones, bodhisattvas, mahasattvas, wisdom beyond wisdom. Maha Prajna Paramita. Thank you all. Good evening. I would like to continue this evening on a theme uh, that uh, our guest speaker yesterday morning, Dale Wright, who some of you uh, heard, started uh, about non-duality. And this evening I want to talk about uh, the ultimate non-duality or the non-duality of duality and non-duality. So uh, some of you were here yesterday morning when uh, Dale Wright, who's a a very fine scholar and a practitioner, um, was here from Southern California and talked about the Vimalakirti Sutra and one of the uh, really uh, seminal uh, texts about non-duality from the Vimalakirti Sutra. Um, And actually, I'm going to refer to it really as a way of talking about uh, some of the primary dualities. So uh, he quoted the chapter uh, on the Dharma door of non-duality. And just to echo his recommendation uh, uh, for the Robert Thurman translation uh, of that sutra. uh, And there's, it's a very entertaining sutra. There's a lot that happens in it. And he went into it some, I won't go into that, but um, um, one of the central chapters, the most famous chapters, is um, a, a challenge to um, all, a, a number of bodhisattvas gathered in Vimalakirti's 
uh, room, and um, it's really a very entertaining sutra. Uh, one of the one of the most entertaining. But anyway, they they're asked. Um, uh, the bodhisattvas to please express how they entered the Dharma gate. So we talk about entering uh, Dharma gates in our bodhisattva vows, the Dharma gate of non-duality. And um, so I want to actually, and, and, and these are great bodhisattvas, and I want to actually just refer to a few of them as a way of talking about dualities. So they, they talk about various dualities that they have uh claim that they say they have transcended. So just for example, uh, the uh, duality of distraction and attention, which uh, some of you have probably uh, faced in your zazen, um, the duality, <clears throat> excuse me, of um, uh, grasping and non-grasping, uh, the duality of um, um, happiness and misery, uh, certainly uh, an apparent duality, uh, the duality of um, self and selflessness, the duality of uh, matter and voidness, the duality of um, uh, Let's see, um, the four elements and space element of matter and space. Um, uh, and there are many others here. And uh, they each, each of the bodhisattvas talks about um, uh, how they confronted this duality and, and, and got beyond it. And finally, Manjushri, the Bodhisattva of Wisdom, who is um, kind of uh, the questioner of the Malakirti, the great enlightened layman uh, uh, in Buddhist time, uh, according to the sutra, um, said, Good sirs, you have all spoken well. Nevertheless, all your explanations are themselves dualistic. To know no one teaching, to express nothing, to say nothing, to explain nothing, to announce nothing, to indicate nothing, and to designate nothing. That is the entrance into non-duality. So then the crown prince Manjushri, the great bodhisattva of wisdom, turns to the Malakirti, great enlightened layman, and says, we have all given our own teachings, noble sir. Now may you elucidate the teaching of the entrance into the principle of non-duality. Thereupon, Malakirti kept his silence, saying nothing at all. So um, Dale Wright talked about this yesterday, and this great this uh, is known as the great thunderous silence of the Malakirti, uh, not saying anything. So that's, um, you know, a uh, very, very popular expression of non-duality in Zen. And of course, we have been sitting in silence, expressing non-duality. But actually, in our tradition, um, it's not quite good enough. <laughs> so um, what is non-duality? What is true non-duality? Uh, we tend to think, it's easy to think of non-duality as the opposite of all those dualities. 
but the ultimate non-duality is not the opposite of duality. Uh, and we th- tend to think that uh, ultimate non-duality is like oneness, uh, as opposed to the dualities of this and that, good and bad, pure and impure, um, distraction and attention and so forth. Uh, so I think that's pretty common, that uh, spiritual seekers look for oneness. Uh, so um, that's not the goal of our practice. Uh, there are many spiritual practices that do seek for uh, unity, oneness. Uh, but as so, uh, this song called Harmony of Difference and Sameness that we have just chanted, one of the key lines says that uh, things and objects and duality is surely delusion. But according with sameness is still not enlightenment. So, merging with sameness, merging with oneness is still not awakening. Um, and to talk about duality and non-duality in terms of difference and sameness uh, clarifies things. So sameness is all things are the same. All things are one. All things are equal. Difference, of course, we know, making distinctions. Um, and yet, the ultimate non-duality, the non-duality uh, in the Soto tradition, uh, Dogen uh, talks about this a lot, the, who brought this tradition to Japan, but it goes back to Shito or Sekito, who wrote The Harmony of Difference and Sameness. Um, he lived in the, in the 700s. Um, that... Uh, the point is to harmonize uh, these uh, these two sides of sameness and difference. Uh, so, uh, of course, uh, people in the world grasp after things, grasp after differences, make distinctions, try and judge and assess um, different qualities and grade people, grade things, you know, great accomplishments, grade different qualities of things, make distinctions. Um, and, you know, uh, I think when we come to spiritual practice, we see that that kind of competitiveness that that leads to is, uh, does not lead to ultimate relief of suffering. And so we might want, you know, sameness, but, that's not it either. So uh, this harmonizing of sameness and difference is actually um, uh, an important point. And we can talk about these, these two sides in various ways. So in our tradition, we, the side of sameness or oneness, you know, we can talk about that in terms of the, sometimes it's talked about in terms of the absolute, uh, which is a little uh, philosophical, like talking about it in terms of the universal or the ultimate. And part of what Zazen and practice on and off the cushion offers us is some sense of that, some sense of something that goes beyond the universal, the ultimate. The other side, 
The differences are, we could say, call them the particulars or the phenomenal world, phenomenon. So um, a few generations after Shuto, who wrote The Harmony of Difference and Sameness, was Dongshan, Tozan in Japanese, who wrote the Jewel Mara Samadhi, we also chant sometimes. Um, and that introduces a whole um, teaching of the five degrees, or five ranks, that's a, kind of the background of Soto Zen. The point of that is, uh, again, this integration of sameness and difference the point of our practice is to get some sense of the ultimate, of the universal, which we do. You know, if you sit, if you do this Zazen practice regularly, uh, we have some taste of that. Uh, and maybe you get more of a taste of it if you uh, do session or uh, longer sittings, but in, just in regular everyday or regular sittings, we get some sense of that. But then the point isn't to... Uh, merge with sameness. The point isn't to uh, realize oneness and, and attach to oneness, but to integrate that, to harmonize that with the phenomenal world, with, uh, with all the differences, all the distinctions that are part of our life. So this harmonizing difference and samenesses and this and this integration of the uh, universal and the particulars is the point, is the, is the dynamic, the dialectic of our practice. And the five degrees uh, is a way of talking about the fivefold aspect of that, uh, which uh, is expressed in the uh, song of the Jewel Mary Samadhi, or the song of the Precious Mary Samadhi. So Dogen talks about it as well. Um, wait, could you put up the the, the uh, screen share the Genjo Koan, just the first paragraph? So um, Dogen talks about it. Dogen um, specifically uh, does not recommend the five degrees as a system because in the history of Soto, and actually it's used in Rinzai too, it, in, in its basic um dynamic of Zen practice in a way, the basic philosophical background, but it, bec it can become too much of a formula. And um, I don't, uh, can everybody see that? I don't know, Wade, if you can magnify that some. Uh, if not, that's okay. But I'll just, I'll read it too. So this is the beginning of one of Dogen's, uh, thank you, that's great, perfect. Um, one of Dogen's uh, most uh, Famous writings. We chant this sometimes too. It's long. It's longer, so we don't chant it as often. But uh, so Dogen says, as all things are Buddha Dharma, there is delusion and realization, practice, birth and death, and there are Buddhas and sentient beings. This is the side of distinctions. There's Buddhas and there's sentient beings. There's Buddhas and there's deluded beings. We could say. This is the side of difference. All things are the expression of this. So there's, there's delusion and realization. There's delusion and awakening. There's birth, there's death. 
Of course, this is the world we live in. It's not that this is not true, but, but this is the world of differences. Then, he says, as the myriad things are without an abiding self, as there is, we say, have the teaching of non-self, isn't and, and Dale talked about this yesterday too, and uh, for those of you who weren't there, it will be eventually on the website and is uh, worth listening to. Um, as there is, as all things, all the 10,000 things, everything is without a fixed, substantial, abiding self. There's no eternal fixed self. We know that. Nothing can be pinned down. Everything is dependent on everything else. Therefore, there is no delusion, no realization, no Buddha, no sentient beings, no birth, no death. This is the side of emptiness or of uh, uh, we could say of, of sameness of everything is set the same in that it is there are no distinctions. Then Dogen goes on to say, the Buddha way is basically leaping clear of the many and the one. The many and the one is difference and sameness. It's not one. So Thich Nhat Hanh says, not one, not two. The non-duality of many and one, the non-duality of sameness and difference, the non-duality of duality and non-duality. We don't get stuck on either side. This is the basic teaching of non-duality. Thus there are birth and death, delusion and realization, sentient beings and Buddhas. We come back to um, our conventional reality, realizing that it is not a, f- a function of either sameness or difference. But then Dogen twists this. He says, yet in attachment blossoms fall and in aversion we'd spread. So this is important. In attachment blossoms fall. We have attachment. We love the f- beautiful flowers in spring. All the beautiful flowers of our life. All of the things that we, that we realize beauty in. All the things, all of the random acts of kindness that bring us joy. And in aversion we'd spread when we have distaste, when we, when we feel dislike, then uh, it spreads. Hate begets hatred. So uh, there's a practical aspect to this. This, this non-duality of duality and non-duality. Again, the basic point is that non-duality is not about getting rid of dualities. So the silence in the Vimalakirti Sutra seems to say that you enter the door of non-duality. Now, now I'm not saying that that's what's going on in the Vimalakirti Sutra, but one can, one can feel it as, oh, if we just get, rid of, get past these dualities of attachment and, not, and distraction and so forth, purity and impurity, that then we are in non-duality. But this non-duality of these dualities and non-duality, uh, it's subtle. Uh, getting past 
our idea of as being something separate from the dualities is uh, a little dangerous. So a uh, way that I think we don't need the, the uh, I think the point is very much so. Uh, even though we see this, yet in attachment blossoms fall and aversion weeds spread. So the practical aspect of this is that um, non-attachment is not the opposite of attachment just like non-duality is not the opposite of duality. So practically speaking, in our ordinary everyday life, as, as conventional beings, as ordinary human beings, even if we have been practicing a long time, we do have attachments. We do have karmic realities. We do have selves in some sense, limited selves. We also maybe have from some Buddhist point of view, ultimate selves. We are part of some ultimate self. But even in terms of our ego self, uh, we chanted the ancient twisted karma repentance verse at the beginning. Uh, we acknowledge that we have ancient twisted karma. We acknowledge that we have, uh, that we are human beings. So this is a practice not for super beings, but actually for human beings. How can we acknowledge our humanity that we do have attachments so the point of of non-duality and non-attachment is not to get rid of all of our attachments maybe some of our attachments fall away that you know sometimes that happens but again the opposite of attachment is not non-attachment but seeing through our attachments, not being caught by our attachments, becoming intimate with our attachments, acknowledging our attachments, and not not needing to act on our attachments. So being caught in our attachments is like being stuck in emptiness, or stuck in oneness. And this happens. Um, in some ways, I... Um, have chosen to teach in a non-residential sangha in the middle of a big city. Well, back when we had a, a, a temple in, in the middle of a big city, but even now in Zoom, we're all in the world, not, not in some mountain monastery. Um, uh, we're in the world. It's, uh, so it's a little harder to get stuck in emptiness or non-attachment. We're not sitting uh, 10 hours a day. Um, but uh, still, this is a traditional uh, Zen sickness. We should beware. We should not try and get free of duality, but see that this non-duality of duality and non-duality, which is to say, practically speaking, um, befriend your attachments doesn't mean act on your attachments necessarily. doesn't mean, you know, we have precepts to, to guide us in how not to, not to cause harm based on our attachments. But how do we uh, see this balance, this harmonizing of difference and sameness? Uh, 
So, uh, this, uh, this way of uh, integrating our sense, our taste, our subtle or, you know, feeling of some, something, you know, back there, this background, ultimate possibility, something, some universal sense of our deep, deep, deep connectedness with the wholeness of the world, with each other, with Sangha, with all the Sanghas. And then the particular difficulties, problems, challenges of our world, our own lives, our own ancient twisted karmas, the differences and the distinctions. So um, non-attachment and non-duality does not mean getting rid of your um, uh, cognitive sense, your cognitive capacity, your uh, ability to make distinctions and discern, but it means not being caught by it. So this process, this is a lifelong process, this process of bringing together, integrating, harmonizing our sense of something deeper, our sense of something that goes beyond with the practicalities of how do we function in our everyday activities in this complicated, difficult world, even at difficult, strange times like when we have pandemics and and difficult uh, conflicts in our society and so forth. So uh, this is the kind of deeper non-duality. And it's a, a lifelong process of integrating and uh, bringing this together. And this is, this is the, the tradition that we're in, this practice of finding our way to uh, work these together. And it's not about doing it perfectly because that's, maybe that's not possible. Um, a great American yogi said, if the world were perfect, it wouldn't be. So trying to, uh, try, uh, aiming at perfection isn't it either. And yet, how do we live in our lives, in our skins, in this world, uh, you know, in, in a way that's, that feels upright, that feels like we're try, finding, you know, wavering maybe, but finding some balance of, not forgetting, or, you know, it's not even a matter of holding on to something back there. It's a matter of just some sense of something deeper, something that goes beyond some ultimate, and yet also paying attention to what's going on with the differences and how do we try and be helpful rather than harmful. So our Bodhisattva precepts are all about pointing towards how to be helpful, in, within the distinctions with some sense of that background wholeness. So maybe that's enough to say about this ultimate non-duality. Uh, I'm interested in your uh, comments, questions, responses,
So um, uh, please feel free. Reflections. Yes, Mike. Uh, thank you very much for your talk. Um, uh, that, that first paragraph of, of Benjo Khan has always made me feel like I'm hitting my head against a wall. So it, it was um, it was very uh, illuminating and kind of helping me uh, understand that a little bit better. Um, the the whole concept of, of harmony, as you were talking about, um, for me, uh, I, uh, I'm a musician, so I, I gravitated naturally towards the musical concept of harmony. And it seemed to make a very nice... Um, uh, idea in my head, just um, the idea of how when you have different voices or different parts in music, um, you know, they're not the same. Um, you know, not everyone always says, you know, um, it's not always carrying the same tune and not everyone is singing, you know, five different pieces of music at the same time. Um, the idea of harmony is that um, the the voices or parts are interrelated with each other. Um yes. And, and harmony can include dissonance. So it's not, you know, nice, pleasant sounding harmonies all the time. It's, you know, voices that are um, you know, bumping up against each other and creating friction. And, uh, and what like we might think of as harmony in the West uh, is very different from like what someone in uh, Ethiopia or Japan or something might consider uh, harmonious. So I think it's like, a, for me, it, um, gave me a really nice image of like um, what harmony like means and kind of um, exemplifying that concept. So um, I just wanted to share that and thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, so uh, this is not like some perfect harmony or static harmony. It's a living, it's a living process. And um, we find our way to this harmony by um, maybe going off key sometimes <laughs> or uh, by uh, allowing dissonance, you know, allowing new harmonies to emerge or, yeah. And so Sangha is the place where we, you know, we are all working at this from our own, with our own voices and then putting, and then how do we learn from each other or, you know, bump up against each other. And then, uh, you know, checking with uh, a teacher or a spiritual friend is a way to, you know, um, modify the harmony further. But yeah, it, so we're each doing this on our own in some radical way, but also with this feedback loop of how does the world tell us when uh, we're not being helpful or, uh, or when we are being helpful. And it takes practice to do all of that. So, yeah. And it's and it's not about reaching some ultimate state. It's about it's because the world, the whole world around us, is obviously changing. You know, <laughs> this year very chaotically and rapidly. But yeah, how do we adjust? So yeah, harmonizing is this uh, living process, right? Thank you. Other reflections. Thanks, Mike. Other comments. Or questions. Uh, yes, Alex. Thank you, Ty, again, for a really excellent talk. Um, I do a lot of reading about non-duality in my sort of less Buddhist secular philosophy study. Um, and your talk tonight just makes me think 
um, just how sort of deep within us these ideas of duality are and how, how easy it is to look at the world in a sort of dualistic lens. Um, you know, it almost, it, it certainly seems to me, it's like the, the sort of default natural thing is to think about a thing like this is a cup and it is white and blue. And that's duality right there. That's, it is a substance and there is an accident. Um, and so, you know, the difficulty with thinking of non-duality is, you know, the instant that we, like you were saying, the instant we put non-duality as an opposite of duality, we've just made a new kind of duality. So how, how can we actually think past this when it's so easy to think in this dualistic way or, you know, it's maybe it's not necessarily about thinking past it. It's not about getting past duality, but how do we integrate it? Yeah, thank you. Um, this is a very important point. Um, so Dale was yesterday was talking about uh, Dogen having problems with Vimalakirti just because the silence, Vimalakirti's silence is very eloquent, but it's not an ultimate answer. Uh, we need language to or maybe we maybe music <laughs> is a better language, uh, but but what you're saying, Alex, we we think with language, and language. I think most languages. I don't know. I, I'm not very good at languages, but you know our language is subject verb object, and all right away there's separation. <laughs> we're subjects verbing objects, or we're you know not trying not to be verbed by subjects out there. Uh, so there's this is our whole thinking is based on separation now that in itself is not bad but it 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 forces it it creates duality and and distinctions and of course we need distinctions to be able to function in the world we need to know when to what things are good to eat and what things are poisonous you know as Dale was saying yesterday but um, yeah, so so this is why you know in Zen, a lot of Zen discourse is in uh, poetry, or the koans are language that kind of uncut undercuts language. How do we use language to uh, undo language, and yet and yet convey something that uh, and to yet convey something deeper? So uh, yeah. Poetry is uh, can be very helpful. But we, we are we're, we're as you were saying, Alex, we're to become part of the part of the process of Zen practice is to become aware of how we get caught by language and by our dualistic thinking, so that. So silence is very helpful. Yes, Amina. I'm thinking about um, that idea of befriending your attachments and just what that could mean or what it might look like, wondering if it's like a an awareness of them, um, a sort of softness towards them or gentleness towards them, you know, without 
obviously trying to take them up and attach to them. But um, yeah, I guess I, I'm just, I'm wondering about that, what it means to befriend one's attachments. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean to indulge them necessarily, but um, to try to not to, I mean, it's different at different times with different people. It might you know, befriending, it might be tolerating other people's attachments too, but how do you do that in a way that is not, again, indulging or encouraging them when they're harmful? So to get to know, so Dogen also says in Genjo Koans, a little while after this paragraph I read, uh, to study the way is to study the self. He goes on to say, to study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be awakened by all things. To be awakened by all things is to drop body and mind, the self and others. But the point is to study the self, to get to know the self. To And this, is, this happens naturally in zazen. You know, as we sit, we see our mind grasping after things. We see our own patterns of responding and and desires and aversions and um, and so that's what I meant by getting to know it by befriending it not not by indulging it but but just by um, you know getting to know your habits and what and what they're up to and then when you're aware when you when you actually are aware of them you don't need to react based on or the more you get to know them, when they come up in everyday activity, you're more able to not react. You can respond. You you might you know you might act out based on them, but more and more you you can choose whether you want to respond based on you know in accord with those habits of reacting or or do something different. Or you might have more more options in how to respond around those habits of thinking. So it's a process. It's a, it's a as, as Dale Wright was saying yesterday, it's a slow process. Um, sometimes things happen very quickly, uh, and you drop. You can just drop some habits. Those that can happen, um, but you know, most of the time, it's it's a kind of soft, slow process. So you know, uh, in terms of befriending, you know. Did I say befriend your habits just or your your attachments? Just you know, get to know them. Um, don't to 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 try and suppress and repress and and you know attack your habits. That's that's attacking your attachments is another kind of attachment. You know, that's just another expression of attachment. You know, if you're going to uh, launch an attack on your attachments, then. You, <laughs> that's that's just another way that your attachments are manifesting as attachments. So how can you just breathe into it all and sit still and not react? Does that help? It does. Yes. Thank you. This is this is the this isn't easy. <laughs> you know, it takes. Practice, as they say.
David Ray. Thanks for this talk, Tygen, very much. Um, questions still bubbling up, and I'm not sure how to word it, but it's it's a I'm thinking about um, the category of being being on the way, being being someone. Um, the 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 category of I forget the 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 chance says something about it too, and it's imagine non-duality as a as a as a reason either to say oh i'm i'm just where i need to be uh and that that pretty clearly seems not not um not sufficient you know at a certain moment you said this in our tradition that's not that's not good enough so i'm i'm just sort of, i'm casting about i'm i'm thinking about how to think about the relationship between yeah between non-duality on the one hand and 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 progress progress on the other ah uh, progress <laughs> yeah, well, I know I know I know so it's easy but it's so easy to say well progress is just being attached to to, to making results so if I said something oh what about what about way seeking mind what's the relationship of uh-huh. non-duality to way seeking mind okay that's good well in in the harmony of difference and sameness it says. Progress is not a matter of far or near, but if you are confused, mountains and rivers block your way. Uh, I respectfully urge you who study the mystery. So those who study the mystery. So we're all practicing. That means we're studying this mystery of what it means to be alive. (laughs) So that's, you know, so way-seeking mind means that we are... uh, People of the way, <laughs> we're wayfarers. We're uh, we're practitioner, pra- practitioners of the way. You know, the way comes from the Tao, the uh, Chinese term. But it's you know, we're all, everyone here is practicing the way, or else you wouldn't be here. <laughs> uh, so we're all do we're all in the middle of this process somehow, even if you just started this recently. Uh, you're you are. You, something brought you here. So you're in the way. You're on the way. In the way. <laughs> it's a funny phrase in English. <laughs> Sometimes we say deeply in the way. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, but when you say, oh, have I made progress? Then you're, then you're you know, calculating and judging and seeing what grade you're in. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's just a matter of... Uh, making distinctions and uh, trying to accomplish something. And, uh, you know, uh, that's not the point. The point is, wherever you are on the way, uh, just how can you find your way right there? Uh, There's a a later in the Genjo Koan, says, here is the place, here the way unfolds. Wherever you are, here is the place, here the way unfolds. So it's not a matter of, is there some better place to be? Oh, would I be better off if I was in California or Japan or China or Tibet? You know, um, so we have people here from California and Wisconsin, I think. So I don't know, maybe they're better off than the people who are in Illinois. I don't know. But here is the place. Here the way unfolds, wherever you are. It's not about finding some other place to be. 
right here, this skin bag here and now, as Sekito says. In the, this is the guy who wrote The Harmony of Difference and Sameness also wrote the song of the Grass Hut that we chant sometimes, which ends, don't separate from this skin bag here and now. It's not about getting to some better place. It's not about reaching some higher state of being or something like that. That's not the point. Here we are. Right where you are, right now. All of this is happening. But our Western idea, I I don't know. I don't know about West or East. I don't know. But anyway, consumerist ideas, to put it that way, (laughs) you know, is that we 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 should get more or better or, you know, whatever. So we, we think that way. When we start making those distinctions, we think that way. And we should admit that we think this, that way. That's our ancient twisted karma, born from beginningless greed, hate, and delusion, through body, speech, and mind. So we now fully avow it. We do think that way. But um, progress is not a matter of far or near. Here's the place. Here's the way it unfolds. So, you know, we can... Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it's miserable. Sometimes this just hurts. Sometimes it's, you know, sometimes we're suffering or sometimes somebody down the street is suffering, but sometimes we can enjoy it. Joanne. I'm wondering, you know, all the sutras that we seem to study are very old and yet they seem so smart. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I'm wondering, and and so beautiful. Um, I'm wondering if there's any modern day sutras anywhere. Oh, Did sure. Did anybody watch anything recent? There, there, there are. Well, you know, I. Uh, are you? Do you have any favorite poets, Joanne? Yeah. Modern poets. Um, not really. Oh. Okay, sorry. More song people, you know, writing lyrics. Okay, who's a who's a favorite songwriter of yours? Oh gosh, anybody. It doesn't have to okay. be the best. Joan Baez maybe pops out of my brain. Joan Baez, yeah, she's written some. So yeah, you know that. That's what I said before. Poetry, song, you know. Uh, uh, You're saying those are sutras. I'm not saying they're sutras. I'm not saying they're not sutras. I'm just saying that whatever inspires us to find our way here and now, whatever inspires us to look more deeply, whatever inspires us to uh, be helpful and not instead of harmful is, uh, is food on the way, whatever helps. So I don't know, Leonard Cohen, Bob Dylan, um, the clash. I don't know. Whatever you know. Is, okay, is, fine. <laughs> and and uh, sutras, you know, are what the Buddha spoke. But um, you know, um, the the sutras say that there are Buddhas in every atom and on every blade of grass. So there must be Buddhas here now. Buddhas, uh, you know, uh, Buddhas are everywhere and every time. That's what the sutras say. Mm. Okay. Does anybody have any modern um, uh, sutra speakers or or poets or 
truth tellers to to uh, call out. Well, I would I would say maybe in a more literal answer, um, something like you know we read Zen Mind Beginner's Mind by by Suzuki Roshi. Yay, Suzuki Roshi. Yeah, yeah. Um, for something more like explicitly uh, Buddhist, um, you know. But if that had been written two thousand years ago, um, it Thanks probably sure. would have been deemed a sutra. It probably would have been attributed to a Buddha, and and we would be reading it as a sutra right now. So in two thousand years, might that not be attributed to you know in in a more literal sense of the word sutra? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. So uh, Buddhism has moved from India 2,500 years ago to Tibet and China to Japan uh, to California, uh, maybe to Chicago. I don't know. But um, now I don't know. Um, in Dogen's time, would they have been able to even make sense of what Suzuki Roshi said? I don't know. Paul Disco is not here to, to, to give his answer, but um, uh, they might not have made sense of it, you know, because the Dharma, the teaching, awakening itself re- responds to time and place. So in different cultures, it has to express itself in different ways. And we don't hold on to, um, you know, some particular expression that matches, you know, 2,500 years ago in Northern India. Now, of course, we also read this, you know, what Buddha said back then. So I don't know. That's an interesting question. Uh, The point is that if Buddha is alive, then how Buddha expresses herself shifts from time to time and place to place. Yeah, well, I think it has to, because that's that's skillful means. It would be unskillful to use the same words to teach all people in all times, in all cultures. Yeah, and yet we can look back to what um, uh, Shito said in the 8th century and find inspiration. Yes, absolutely. And and at the same time, find modern re-articulations, which you provided for us tonight um, quite wonderfully. Yeah, and so, um, you know, and and so, for example, Dogen, who lived in the 1200s, refers to his teacher and refers to Hongzhu, who I translated who lived a century before him, as an old Buddha. And they refer to Zhao Zhao Joshu as an old Buddha. Uh, so uh, I don't know uh, if Homer was an old Buddha, but um, or if, if the, David Race got thumbs up there because... That's his old Buddha. But anyway, uh, and maybe, you know, some people, maybe there are some people who speak to some of us and not to others. There's some people in our song who don't like Bob Dylan. I, you know, that's okay. Um. <laughs> it's all right, Wayne. <laughs> You're not going to kick me out? No, not at all. Different people have, di- you know, so that's why there's many teachers. Douglas, no. Anybody else? We're um, we're getting near time to do our closing chant, but we can keep 
anybody has anything else to say. Amina? Anybody who hasn't spoken yet? Anyway, uh, just to, to, in closing, just that, um, uh, to, to see this deeper point of non-duality, that non-duality is not about, uh, it's not as opposed to duality, but this non-duality of uh, difference and sameness, harmonizing. Um, I mean, this is, this, is, this is actually pretty subtle. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know if, if people who haven't sat, sat sazen could, could hear this even. I don't know. Um, to go beyond the usual dis- world of distinctions, uh, you know, we, we seek some sameness or some wholeness or something. But then to see that that's not, that there's a, there's a deeper non-duality. So I wanted to just throw that in the pot tonight. And so thank you all very much. Um, uh, let's do our four bodhisattva vows and then we'll have announcements. Give me just one moment. Certainly take five. Throw those up on the screen for you all. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them, delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them, dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them, Buddha's way is unsurpassable, I vow to realize it. Beings are numberless, I vow to free them, delusions are inexhaustible, I vow to end them, dharma gates are boundless, I vow to enter them, Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it, beings are numberless. I vow to free them, delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them, dharma gates are boundless. I vow to enter them, Buddha's way is unsurpassable. I vow to realize it.